This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics, and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. This episode will cover the book, Poor Charlie's Almanac by Charlie Munger. And just a warning for everybody, uh, unfortunately, when we recorded this episode, I'm we're, we're still a little bit baffled on exactly what happened, but somehow there were some significant uh, audio issues that worked their way in. So uh, I'm sorry that we've not been able to fix all of that in post-production, did the best we could, but um, yeah, bear with us there. And uh, next episode, we should be able to uh, to resolve that uh, that issue once we figure out exactly what happened. But uh, without further ado, let's get back to the pre-recorded episode. Poor Charlie's Almanac by, well, Charles Munger. You know, you might have heard of him. He's he's kind of a big deal. I bet you he does have mahogany bookcases. I don't know. I, that's something I'd, I'd like to ask him. Does he have that? It's interesting. You'd never know that the guy was that old. When you hear him give radio interviews and, and all that, and he, I mean, he podcasts and does everything else. I mean, you would... You would have no idea how old this guy is. He, his voice is so young. He's so irascible. He's so irascible. Just a fun guy. Anyway, I'm looking forward to this one. This was not one that I read. It's one that you know, maybe in the, in the future I'll, I'll get to, but uh, it's definitely one that Eric read. So uh, we're doing that format this time around. Uh, and just a quick note, we have now set up a Patreon account. Uh, that will allow you, if you are getting any value out of this podcast, if you get value out of this podcast, then uh, we we just ask that uh, you return the favor and return us a little bit of value as well. Complete the cycle of grace, as it were, and uh, just make a make a small donation uh, via via Patreon. You can you can do it on a per episode basis. You can do all sorts of things. I mean, I, I could borrow from Dan Carlin, the uh, the Godfather of podcasting, here and say, you know, a buck a show. It's all we ask. Actually, heck, fifty cents a show would be great. Uh, I don't know that we're we're quite worth what Dan Carlin is on uh, on those. So you know, if he's worth a buck a show, I'm feeling pretty good about fifty cents a show right now. But um, if you're is he the God is he the Godfather or the Podfather? Oh, okay. Twenty-five cents. <laughs> no, really. I mean, if you're getting value out of the show, um, then you know, having finding some, this gives you a way to uh, to return some value to us. So, a little value for value proposition. Once again, uh, you'll be able to find that Patreon uh, via the booksoftitans.com website. And of course, as always, if you're not a subscriber to this podcast, you can subscribe through Apple Podcasts, which is, of course, a terrible podcast manager or through other various podcatchers, uh, podcast managers, uh, such as Overcast, which is both of our preference due to uh, a number of cool features, such as the smart speed thing, which as of right now has saved me uh, countless hours. I, I actually, well, it does keep account. Actually, I'm opening this up right now. I want to find out how many hours as of right now, because it shows you in the... Uh, and, and Jason, what is the speed that you listen? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it depends on the podcast, but I listen to right around 2x on just about everything. Uh, some podcasts will be a good bit more than that, some a little bit less just because of uh, depending on how fast the people tend to talk. But yeah, mine says uh, smart speed has saved me an extra 143 hours beyond speed adjustments alone. That right there is worth it. 
But anyway, we're uh, we're available through just about any podcast manager uh, you could you could you could ask for. And also, uh, if you if if there's a, if there's one of these episodes that you think would be interesting to a friend, please uh, please forward us on to that. So uh, without any any more of this uh, self shameless. I really am shameless about this. I, I'm not ashamed at all. Shameless self-promotion. Uh, we can go ahead and continue on to the episode. So tell us a little bit about Charles Munger, Charlie Munger. Yeah, Charlie Munger is best known as, as Warren Buffett's right-hand man. They met many years ago and, and have worked worked together since. Uh, it sounds like it's a, an amazing relationship. And it sounds like it's... Uh, it sounds like they're very similar, whereas, you know, with a Steve Jobs and uh, who is the guy he worked with again? Uh, Steve, you talk about Steve Wozniak? Yeah, Wozniak. Woz, baby. Yeah, Woz. They, I mean, they were different. And, and um, Bill Gates and his counterpart, both of them, they, they seem to be the opposites. And, and those opposites came together to create great things. Charlie and Warren seem to be pretty, pretty similar. And so this this uh, this book is, is an obvious reference to Poor Richard's Almanac, which is what uh, Ben Franklin would, would put out on a yearly basis. So this is kind of a take off of that. And, and Charlie loves Ben Franklin and talks about him quite often. It was and a painful so loss is, when when Ben died when Charlie was younger. Yeah, <laughs> ninety four. January 1st, 1924 is when he was born. So uh, he's, he's seen a lot. Um, so Warren and, and Charlie, they, uh, well, well uh, Charlie is the vice chairman of, of Berkshire Hathaway. And so Berkshire Hathaway is, is the, the company that they're, they're with. And what's uh, sort of played a part in my life where my first job out of college was with Russell Corporation and Berkshire was the the company that eventually bought them in in 2006. So a great investment, as we all we all know. Yeah. <laughs> so Russell is now pretty much only available in Walmart, and they don't do any sports teams hardly anymore. High so, end, high end stuff. Yeah, high end sports teams. Um, so I wanted to to share a little bit about this book. I'd I'd always heard a lot about it, but never never actually saw it. And so when I ordered it from Amazon and got it in the mail, uh, I was I was quite shocked. And I'm going to show Jason what it what it looks like here. But it is an enormous <laughs> book. I mean, it is it's probably one and a half times the size of Tools of Titans, and it's easily two to three times the size of a regular book. It's over 500 pages, and it's printed pages, so colored pages, so they're very heavy. Uh, so just an overall enormous book and in word count, how does it compare to something like tools of Titans? Yeah. Word count is, is a different thing. So I, I'll, I'll show you a image of a page here. And what you see a lot is uh, a lot of photos and a lot of sidebars. So kind of a content. children's picture book there, which you just yeah, showed me. It is, yeah, it is a picture book. Um, and, and if he talks about somebody uh, or he talks about a book, they'll highlight that person in the sidebar. And so you like Irving Stone, good literature. And then they tell about Irving Stone. They show a book by Irving Stone. And um, so the, this is uh, throughout the book. The uh, over 500 pages, the first 150 pages are kind of tidbits of wisdom. And they come both from Charlie and from 
people talking about Charlie. So things they've seen him done, uh, <laughs> things they've seen him do or, uh, or say, and uh, those are all compiled together in the first 150 pages. The final 350 pages are 11 different speeches that Charlie has made that are fully printed out. And so it's, it's a unique set all around. What's that? So transcripts, basically. Yeah, transcripts of, of his speeches in, in full. And what was interesting and I guess odd is the 11th speech was, it, it kind of summarized everything in the book. So you, you almost could have just gone straight to that 11th speech. And so much of what he covers in the first 150 pages and then in the other speeches is contained in this in this uh, this final speech, so that so pretty much if you want to read this lot. book, just read the final uh, speech and thumb through the pictures, and you're pretty much good to go. Yeah, huh. but you're also out sixty bucks if you if you do get the book. So that was one of the you know I put whatever I'm reading the books I'm posting on uh, Instagram what I'm reading and in the the comment I most often got was uh, was is it worth it? You know, was the book worth the sixty dollars? That's that's uh, quite a bit of money when compared to, to other books. And, and you just, you can't find this book in the used section. Uh, and if it is, it's about the same price. Uh, there's different iterations or uh, versions of the book. This is the third expanded third edition. I wonder if you can actually get the, if you can get the audio to those speeches somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and you know, I looked, I looked to see if it was available on iBooks. It's not. So it's really, you, you buy the big book, or, or you don't. And, and one of the comments I got on Instagram was a, a guy in, uh, in uh, Scandinavia. I can't, I can't recall if it was um, Norway or Sweden, but he, he said the book is nearly impossible to get there uh, because it, it's just so expensive to, to ship it. So from, that's why they're so happy in Scandinavia. Yeah. <laughs> now that, um, the, the interesting thing about how this, how this, this works is, of course, it is exactly what you would expect from someone who's running Berkshire Hathaway, right? Because they 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 didn't exactly become multi billionaires by giving stuff away for for cheap or for free, right? So it's exactly how you would you would expect this to work. Yeah, yeah, and um, so it, it's a fun setup. It's a it's it's unique, uh, but um, yeah, a, a, it's almost like a wisdom literature in, in a sense several of, of the things we've read this year fit into that category where it's just yeah. you know wisdom lit basically just modern yeah and a lot more wordy than, than say the the Tao did ditching yeah or book of proverbs yeah it's, because yeah. most of the, these are these are wisdom literature without the uh the poet the poetic uh and highly dense uh uh structure of, of poetry that that um ancient wisdom tends to be transmitted in partly because they didn't have the uh, ability to print 500 page books with glossy pages and pictures and so on. So you better, you better put this into poetic form and have something pithy that people can remember. Yeah. And, and, and Charlie certainly does have some of those. He's known for his his pithy comments and um, there's a few I may, uh, may hit on during this episode. So as for who suggested the book, uh, it, it was suggested in a few different podcast episodes of the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. One was in the interview with Naval Robicant. Another was Brene Brown. And then there was another podcast episode that included Josh Waitskin, Ramit Sethi, and Adam Robinson. And Which, by the way, is a really good podcast episode, just for the record. Mm-hmm. That's one of the better ones. And, and, 
this this book popped up in that. So uh, it's been been recommended a lot on on Tim's podcast, and I've heard it talked a lot about in in different places, different podcasts. So uh, it was it was good to finally dig into it. So, uh, so let's get let's to uh, let's get to yeah. some of your favorite quotes here. <laughs> okay. So yeah, and, 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 and you'd mentioned you'd mentioned by the way he's he's known for his aphorisms and his witticisms and all that. So I expect I expect a lot out of this favorite quote section. I'm just, I'm just saying. No pressure. Well, yeah. There's uh, okay. I've got I've because I've limited the quotes because I've got some of the other quotes in the uh, in our nitty gritty section. But real quick, first, uh, an initial thought of the book. This was a very interesting book to read after we read Fooled by Randomness. Because Tala <laughs> kind of took Buffett to task in the, in the book. And for I mean, a couple it, it things. Was, yeah. And, and one of the things uh, Taleb said is that when you have all these investors in the world, just by pure chance, you're going to get somebody like Buffett that is above average in his investments. And it's, so it's, it, that's uh, just like four or five life. standard deviations outside the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And it may, and, and his thing is it doesn't necessarily mean that it, that he's that much better than anybody else. It could just be pure random chance that he's benefited from. And statistically you'd expect that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that, that's kind of a, a question when you, when you go into reading this book, by Charlie, and then, and, and I guess thinking of, of Berkshire Hathaway in general and, and Warren Buffett is, do they have some sort of a special sauce? Uh, is their approach in, in the approach that Charlie highlights in this book, which is a very multidisciplinary approach to investing, does does that give him an advantage? And, and it would seem so, but Munger himself acknowledges that if it were not for 15 15 or so specific investments that he and Buffett made, they would have had just average market returns. <laughs> so fi- 15 investments is all that set them apart. And, and granted, they, when they invest, they, they go all out. But 15 investments that they made that are what made them that rich. Which to some degree kind of makes Taleb's point here is if one of those goes the other way. What what a, what a difference that can make? Though I, I think actually, if you if you look at their strategy for uh, for investment, they follow a lot of uh, Talib's anti fragile concepts in terms of making. They're big believers in uh, you know you want to make your you want to make you want to put yourself in position for big wins, but you've got to make sure that that your losses are minimal. Uh, that you set it up so that you can so that your 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 downside risk is is always controlled, and that's something that that they uh, uh, they're big on, and that's something that Talib in Full by Randomness is really really uh, uh, big on. And in his other work, he he talks about that as you know that's a mark of of really a, a smarter investor. So so they do fit that. Yeah, I mean, I would say if Charlie Talib and Kahneman walked into a bar, they'd be there for days i'd want talking. to be in that bar it, yeah they, they they would and and it, that was the amazing thing is and if, is if, there, how were, close. if, if there was a deadlift bar in there i know <laughs> talib would would at least have a way to get some of that pent-up energy out of him before he punched one of them 
Probably, but probably I, I Mungo. Wrote, I wrote Talib and Kahneman in the margin multiple times in this book. So very similar thought pattern, and uh, we'll get into it in the nitty gritty, but a, an entire section on psychology from Charlie, from a man who has never taken a psychology course. It, it's it, it's amazing how 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 uh, tied in those th- the thought process are uh, thought processes are with Kahneman and um, and Charlie. And the book, this book, this third edition was 2006, which is around the time that uh, Kahneman's book came out. So Kahneman's name is never mentioned in this book, but. Yeah, uh, the the impact of, the impact of behavioral economics is still very strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it seems like Charlie came to a lot of this on on his own as well. But I'm I'm sure there was uh, some cross. Oh, yeah. no, he and he and Buffett read religiously. Yeah, and yeah. they they read widely, and they definitely uh, are familiar with that behavioral that explosion in behavioral economics uh, uh, economics in the um uh th- from the say 70s to now uh, they, they, they've been keeping abreast of that uh, you can be you can be sure about that and a lot of that was published before Kahneman put it all together in his big book I mean Tversky and Kahneman stuff was getting out there first in the 60s so I mean it's it's been slowly building to the, uh, 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 the influential place that it is now but they were they they, they followed along yeah yeah so I'll, I'll get into a few quotes here. The first one is, it's the work on your desk. Do well with what you already have and more will come in. And I, I've, I've seen this in my line of work. Um, whenever I get really anxious about getting new business in or you know, trying to, trying to get the next thing set up, uh, it, it almost takes time away from just doing really well with the work I have in front of me. And, and I find that if I do really well on the work that's on my desk, that those people tell others and, and, it, and, it, and it works out. But I thought that was a, a great, um, great quote and great, great way that he put it there. Second one is uh, something about McDonald's. And I, I thought this was interesting, especially with um, how uh, McDonald's gets, gets a pretty bad rap now with, um, with health. And all that. So, and the indeed, fact I've, that they've gone away from uh, from animal fats as the basis for their fries, you know, which they did under under pressure in the, I guess it was a late '80s or early '90s, and their fries have never been nearly as good since. And it's actually no healthier because animal fats aren't bad for you. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> indeed, I've often made myself unpopular on elite college campuses pushing this reliability theme. What I say is that McDonald's is one of our most admirable institutions. Then, <laughs> as a sign of shock come to surrounding faces, I explain that McDonald's, providing first jobs to millions of teenagers, many troubled over the years, has success- successfully taught most of them the one lesson they most need, to show up reliably for responsible work. Then I usually go on to say that if the elite campuses were as successful as McDonald's in teaching sens- sensibly, we would have a better world. You gotta love. You've just gotta love that. If if our camp, if our colleges were just more like McDonald's, yeah, then we would be better off. That is so longer. <laughs> and it's pretty funny. Like when you read his speeches, some of his speeches would be to uh, nonprofits, and he would just blast the nonprofits for how they handled money. And you know, even in the speech, he would say, 
you know, this is this is the last time I'll ever be invited to a nonprofit to give a speech. <laughs> and and that's kind of his style. Like he just he, he goes all in and says what's on his mind and And yet they call, keep calling him back. Yeah, because there's just because he's still awesome. He's awesome, and, and he, it really is that multidisciplinary thing. His his whole mindset on things is to is to get the main idea from different fields, whether it's physics or psychology, mathematics, and get those first principles, get those get those main points, and make sure that he understands those completely. And then to use those when he's doing analysis on investment opportunities, businesses. So it's not just looking at uh, a balance sheet and trying to to understand a business like he's looking at leadership. He's looking at uh, all different aspects of a company and really trying to take it from a broad point of view. And and so that that was an interesting approach and and, and something you you see how he does that in, in this book. Here's, here's one of the uh, quotes that I think you'll like. Um, he, he, he says this multiple times. And um, I, if, if there's kids in the room, go ahead and put on earmuffs. He said, what you don't want to be is the one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. <laughs> That's one of his, his favorites. So This is uh, the final quote for this section And before we get into nitty-gritty. And here it is. To this day, I've never taken any course anywhere in chemistry, economics, psychology, or business. And it's pretty astounding. Uh, you know, as you, as you said, he and, and Warren are, are huge readers. Um, uh, I've heard as high as 80% of Warren Buffett's time is spent reading. And that's not 80% after work. That's 80% of his day. So that includes time at the office and everything. 80% of his time is spent reading. And it just goes into that uh, lifelong learning. You know, Charlie, Charlie has always been into learning. He's always been into reading. He says his kids always remember him reading. He's, he's always in his chair reading. Uh, and so yeah, life, lifelong learner. And, and, and not just learning, but broad learning, mm-hmm. focusing on getting, a broad view of a lot of different arenas and avenues. He mentions, you know, I, I never took a class in psychology, but he read a lot more in psychology than a lot of people who end up getting graduate degrees in psychology. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way that, that, that they've worked. So, so yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, uh, I, I think that, that in that sense, he and Buffett are testaments to the value of the continued value of being uh, a polymath, of being focused on more than one thing, of being well-rounded intellectually. Uh, Something that has, to some degree, gone out of fashion, or is going out of fashion uh, among a lot of of different circles where higher ed is looked at as, uh, or education is looked at as job training as opposed to intellectual training and learning to uh, learning to to evaluate and think and 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 to think about things more broadly, it, we we've moved more, like I said, to the job training aspect of things, and that they, if anything, they they kind of are 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 a testament to thinking about it a little differently, mm-hmm. uh, and and saying no, this isn't 
this it should you should not be thinking about this as a job training thing about education from you know a, of a sixth grader as about training that kid for a job or even as a 12th grader cha- training for a job no jobs will come and they'll go and you can be trained for what you need to do in a given job but what you can't get by that you, you, you it's it's not important to be trained for a job nearly as much as it is to be educated and to learn to think clearly and to learn to think well that's a different thing and there there's something of a testament to the value of focusing on that and and learning to think carefully and critically rather than focusing narrowly on you know business or 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 what you know one or two one or two things yeah and learning how to learn and and that's one of one of the key the single most important lesson yeah and and you know we've we've read some of the books we've read highlight uh going into a niche and just you know focusing on one thing and becoming really good at that kind of to in in looking at the jack of all trades trades master of none in in a negative light but this book really puts forth that idea of being able to to do multiple things and and not and not lose anything with that and, and in fact gain from that yeah, to become, but, it becomes again, a force multiplier if you do it right yeah and and, and i think it kind of goes to that ten thousand hour rule of jason what you continually point out with that is that it is what is it deliberate practice deliberate practice and that's all charlie is is about is deliberate learning and and not just you know, i mean if if he's going to learn about psychology he's, he's going in deep but he's learning the the basics too he he wants to get the basics down in every field and 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 keep it simple in that sense, but 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 be broad in that and, and be in and, and approach things from a multidisciplinary point of view. So yeah, really really neat in, in that aspect, and, and that you see that a lot in this book and, and how he how he does that in, in different situations. So let's get a little bit more then into some of the details, uh, some of the, the more specific things. Uh, in this book, what what are a couple of things that, that most stuck out to you uh, that that you think are worth the reader knowing, uh, or worth the listener knowing uh, as they're considering reading this book or uh, thinking about it after they've read it in the past and just wanting to refamiliarize uh, with the book a little bit? Yeah, I'll, I'll highlight a few and and some that I think uh, the listeners would uh, things that would really benefit them in in how they approach different problems and the first one is is that munger loves to invert problems so he'll think through something in a forward fashion you know if if i do this this will happen this uh if we invest here this this will happen or if um these things happen in the marketplace you know this will happen but then he likes to do that thinking about them in reverse too uh you know what if if this is the outcome that we want what would have to happen for that to take place. If this is the outcome that we don't want to have happen, what would have to, to happen to, or not happen to, to have that take place? And so thinking things forward and in reverse is is something that he takes into into everything. See, I think I think Elon Musk also, if I remember right, Elon Musk has also talked about how that's that's a, a, a practice that he also does. And, and, and again, I, this is one of those things I read. And so, you know, you can all, as, Abraham Lincoln once said, you can never trust everything or you can't trust everything on the internet. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure that that's necessarily accurate, but I do vaguely remember 
uh, Elon Musk talking about doing the same kind of mental practice. Yeah. Well, another, another one here, incentives are superpowers. And he gives a few examples of, of different companies, um, FedEx being one of them, that, that was having trouble getting all the packages out in time. And so what would happen is they would hire hire people and then these people would work at night. So all the packages would come into a, a central location and then they all had to be ready to, to be shipped out by the next morning. And they, they could never do it. The the packages were getting ready in time and you know the, not everything was getting shipped out. And they, they just simply changed the incentive to where they said to the workers, they said, all right, when you guys are done with the packages, you can go home. Huh. Yep. And, and, and it flipped everything for FedEx. They started getting all the packages out and just a simple, like same people there, you know, they didn't fire everybody and get new people, same people just slightly switched the incentives and, and huge changes in, um, in productivity and, and getting the job done. So that reminds me, actually gets me back to one of my hobby horses about education. I would completely you know, if you if you gave me a, a stick to change the educational aspect of this, and I think we've talked about this a little bit on this on this show before, but if you gave me the chance to change our educational system, one of the first things I'd want to do is is deal with that incentive issue because right now, if you're a kid in say the fifth grade, it doesn't matter how fast you 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 learn, it doesn't matter what you learn, you're still going to be in that same room for that same amount of time every day for 180 school days per year and then you're going to come back the next year and do the same thing no matter how fast you learn no matter how well you learn you get no reward in that sense you don't get to go home early you don't get extra recess you don't get you don't get to move ahead faster unless your parents really push for you to skip grades or something like that and even that is socially difficult so for me finding a way to change that so that i would love to have to to leverage the capacity we have now in terms of of technology and and uh, and the ability to assess uh, progress in, in specific areas more easily in a, on a on a granular fashion, you know, by per student. That once a student shows mastery in a given area, that student moves ahead. And if you move past, and I would get rid of first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. It's just a matter of skill level. And once you hit a given skill level at a certain in a certain subject you just move to the next level and maybe that's another instructor or something at the school or whatever but and you might be in the first level on one and the fifth level on another but either way you're moving up and you get and and, uh, you can have you you can have choices if you finish everything for today well i've finished everything and i've shown shown the progress i need to today so now i get to either go home early i get to uh go to the go to the gym i get to you know do an X number of different things that I actually want to do, uh, or I can choose to try to move ahead because I want to get out of here. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sixth grade boy and I'm tired of being in school already. And I know if I push hard and again, there's no grades at this point, but you know, that, that age kid, I know if I push hard instead of taking six more year, years to finish, to get through 12th grade, I can do this in I can do this in two or three. I can finish faster. Why not? Now I can, then I can get out of here and I can get a job. I can, or I can go to college. I can do it. If you change that incentive structure for these kids, especially for the males who are just stuck sitting in there and like, why am I even here? 
for whatever reason, males tend to have more of that wiring to go screw this. I, I don't, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm not going to try. Uh, and you know that there, there is a male female education gap. Once the, once the, the female students start moving, moving up faster at certain age ranges, the, the boys will start noticing those girls are, are leaving them and they're going to find ways to move up quicker too. <laughs> I got to be up. I got to be up there in that same level with that girl. So again, you're playing with incentives. To me, that would totally change. It would be like the FedEx example where you get yeah. the kids moving because I got the promise of getting out of here if I can finish this, whether that's yeah. getting out of here today or just getting out of school faster. Yeah. We waste so much time now just basically doing everything on an hourly basis that you have to put in this, the, the hour, the butt, in the, the butt has to be in the seat for that long. Why? Yeah. Yeah. That's not the way jobs work anymore. When it goes to the 10,000 hour, just 10,000 versus deliberate 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. And if we incentivize that, it changes things. Cause right now our, our, the majority of those students don't really feel like they have a real reason to, to, to work at this stuff. Yeah. Anyhow. So th- this book, uh, it, I, 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 I would assume a lot of investors read this book just to get um, tidbits of wisdom from, from Charlie and, and his approach. And here's one thing that uh, I, I found interesting. In discussing the common invest, investment practice of purchasing index funds, he says, indexing can't work well forever if almost everybody turns to it, but it will work all right for a long time. And I, I know a lot of people are moving to investing in index funds. That's pretty much all I do. And uh, so it was, it was interesting to, to read that part to read what he said about that. And, and it, it is that question of, of what's better to, to index. So to basically to buy a, a set of companies that and, and index against those as the market moves, you, you benefit from all those instead of just investing in one company per se. Um, this, this mitigates some of the risk and, and indexing overall has done a lot better than people trying to pick and choose stocks that they think are going to do well. But, but that's the question is, is, is indexing always better than people picking out stocks, especially in the long run? Well, once you've you got Charlie massive, once you get these massive, uh, these massive market movers that basically are uh, these massive institutional investors that are, that are in, that are, just billions and trillions of dollars into index funds, then it actually does become an interesting problem, mm-hmm. right? You can get every there. There's too if there's too much money in index funds, then actually the the market gets unhealthy, and that's where where Munger I think is right. The question is is the tipping point. Where does that happen? And and it's not even about picking one stock versus indexes. It's a matter of what happens when these various. Uh, Institutional investors have 70% of the, the money in the market is in index funds. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then what? The money's just sitting, like, there's not actually any dynamism in that market at that point. So we're getting, we're getting clo- pretty close to there now. Yeah. So, yeah, then the question becomes what do you do instead? All right. Rental so, property, uh, man. Yeah. Rental property. I mean, look at Ber- Berkshire Hathaway and how much property they own now. Yeah. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to highlight is the thing that I 
thought was the most beneficial piece of info I got from the book and well worth the, uh, the $60 price. Munger talks about Warren Buffett's hypothetical idea that young investors should be given a card with 20 slots on it. And every time you make an investment, one slot is punched. Once you reach those 20 investments, there's no more investments. And what Buffett says this would do is it would really make people think about what they're investing in. And, you know, you, you think back to what, what I said earlier about Charlie saying that their success has come down to 15 really good investments. What if you, what if you really had to think through deeply what, what you were going to invest in over your whole life? What if, what if you only invest in 20 things? It would, it would really make you slow down and, and think about what you're investing in, maybe take, take a little extra time. And I, I really liked that approach. I, um, I, in college, I, I opened up a, a stock account and basically lost all that money just from, from not thinking through things and, and investing quickly. And in fact, I even sold some of the stocks that if I had hold, held on to those, they would have been a lot better. Um, so that, that idea of, of having just 20 investments opportunities in your lifetime, I, I thought that was a really smart thing and a, a smart way to look at investing. I wonder if he got, if he actually got that idea from old, uh, from, from the old dances from basically when you would go to a dance, you'd have dance cards where you, you know, basically you would keep track of the people like, you know, may I have this next dance, right? There was actually a name, like you would have your card and you fill in like that, this dance I'm dancing with this person, this dance I'm dancing. Oh, really? And I wonder if that goes back to, you know, that, that era, cause they're old enough that they actually were around when, when you went to a formal dance, like a school dance or something, you had a dance card. Yeah. And it sounds an awful lot like a typical dance card that basically saying, you know, keep a dance card of your, of your investments. Yeah. That's it's funny. a fascinating yeah. idea though. Yeah. And, and again, the, I think that the key there is that he's saying, focus on the quality of the investments, not on the quantity, because if you, if you don't get the quality, the, the quantity is going to kill you. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. that's a very Talebian point that if you, if you're not paying very, very close attention to the risks, if you don't know exactly what you're getting into, uh, and, and if you haven't considered all of the potential downside there, you're going to get killed. Yeah. And, the, and I think the other side of it is speed. Don't, yeah. don't be in a rush. Easy. You know? and, 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 you know, it's funny Which to say really when you're 94. Yeah. But yeah. But, but I mean, investing, like you, you hear what you think, you hear about what you think is a good idea or a good deal. And you're like, well, I got to get in this right now. And the, their point is, no, like, take your time invest well, invest wisely. And if it helps you to think about it in that way of just having 20 opportunities in your lifetime, maybe that'll slow you down to not rush into something that you think is, is a good idea uh, at the time. So I'm ready to, uh, to close this one up. All right. Well, um, <laughs> it's a, a little bit shorter episode for us, but, um, what uh, what would you say in terms of conclusions? What what were your big takeaways here uh, for 
the person considering reading this book, or at least the last speech of this book, uh, what what really did you did you gain from this book? Where would you put this book in terms of the company that 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 in in terms of ranking it relative to some of the other things we've talked about on this podcast, and in terms of the uh, of the other options out there? Is it really is it worth it? I'm I'm kind of mixed on it. I mean, it, it was an enjoyable book, um, but I didn't I didn't rank it very highly compared to some of the other books that we've we've read this year. Um, I mean, it's a great. I mean, if you're an investor and and uh, th- this is this is your book. I mean, this is really good wisdom advice. Uh, and, and it's broad. I mean, he, he hit one of his speeches is on psychology. So he's hitting, he's hitting on a lot of different topics. And then it's just a broad range in terms of the books he references. There's a lot of book recommendations in the book. So yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting book. It's full of, of wisdom and it's from a guy who, who loves learning. So that comes across in the pages and it kind of encourages you to, to want to learn more, um, my my critique though is that there is a lot of repeating in the book and it you know it just comes about because he uses some of the same examples in in a lot of his different speeches and then people have also highlighted those in those first 150 pages where they're talking about charlie so a lot of repeating but um but overall a, a good interesting book that um uh, that people would would get a lot out of the sixty dollar price tag scares a lot of people, and in in that sense, I I think some of the other books we have re- read this year are, are a lot better. And for those, I would I would say Thinking Fast and Slow, Full of Randomness, and even the the Tao Te Ching, uh, where you know this is this is a book full of wisdom, but the the Tao Te Ching is, I mean, you can get through it in an hour and a half, whereas. <laughs> Whereas this poor Charlie's Almanac, it took me it took me many days to get through this book. And Tao Te Ching is is presents the concepts in, in a very sim- simple form. You know, it might be a, a sentence or or two lines of, of content, and it, that it forces kind of you to ref- that forces you to reflect on it rather than having someone else have having reflected on it for you. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of books that we've read this year that I would I would recommend over this one. But uh, but it, it is an interesting one, and it's one that not a lot of people are going to read just because of the the price tag and, and the the length of it. So so what you'd basically say then, if I'm going to put words in your mouth here, is you wouldn't necessarily recommend it over some of the others, but you certainly don't regret having read it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and I covered just a very few of the the takeaways I got from the the book so there there are a lot of really nice pieces of wisdom and and stories and book recommendations and, and everything that um that i know will will stick with me into the future so for for that you know the the, the back to that question i i kept getting on instagram was, was it worth it i mean uh, uh when you think about the price of a book and, and what you're gaining and, and if one idea can help you in your business or in your life I mean, a ten dollar book—that's uh, that's a no-brainer investment. A sixty dollar book, still, it should be a no-brainer. I mean, if if one of these one of the uh, these ideas from this book helps you even in an investment, you know that that sixty dollars will be recouped 
rather rather quickly so yeah makes sense all right well that'll do it for us here on books of titans once again you can follow along with us on booksoftitans.com where there's additional material related to this podcast including eric's written reviews of the books that he's covered uh, i have been negligent and have not done that written por portion uh, as i'm working on finishing my own book and several other projects so i have other fish to fry at the moment but um also, uh, all books ever suggested, most gifted, or discussed on every single one of the the Tim Ferriss Show podcast episodes. So, oh, yeah, yeah. if you're Don't looking for, for good books to read, uh, I, I update that the, the moment the new podcasts come out from uh, from Tim. So, some great uh, book recommendations there. Yeah, so uh, follow along with us there. You can also follow along on on Instagram, Twitter, all sorts of different uh, social media options. Make sure to tell a friend if, uh, if there's something in any one of these uh, episodes that uh, you found valuable. And don't forget that uh, we're putting that Patreon account up. It's going to be going live late this week around the time that this, uh, this episode posts. So if uh, you've gotten value from this podcast, please do us a favor and return uh, some value in return. Like I said, maybe we're not worth what Dan Carlin is, but 50 cents a show and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll still appreciate it. Once again, this has been the Books of Titans podcast. I'm Jason Staples. That's Eric Rostad. Keep reading, keep listening, and keep improving. And keep it real. I made this.